Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by a singer-songwriter that lights up a room. You've seen her as part of postmodern jukebox, the Metropolitan Opera, and Cirque du Soleil. Her latest project is the pop retro anthem, Braille. We welcome the talented Therese Curatolo. Sean, it's so great to be here with you today. I'm thrilled. Thank you for having me. Therese, let's go beyond the mic. You sing, you act. What is the one thing you can't do no matter how hard you try? Oh, goodness. What is the one thing that I can't? Well, I mean, I'm not great at getting a routine in an audition setting, like a, like a dance routine. I cannot do it. The pressure, whew, too large. Can't do it. So if you have to do a dance routine, it takes you longer to catch on? I like, I don't know, I seize, I short circuit. Like, I don't have control of my body and I just don't know how to do it. But like when I'm dancing on my own, I'm a great dancer. But when I have to do it, metronomically speaking, forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they're in the world of entertainment, people don't have the understanding of what an entertainer's life is truly like. You've been on the road with Postmodern and Cirque. Describe a typical week on the road, if you can. Well, um, lucky for me, the groups that I do tour with, they're incredibly organized. So we have day-by-day sheets. We have have an app called Master Tour that lets us know what we are the second we dock to the second we take off. Uh, We are on a bus. So as soon as we touch down in our next venue, we are led into our dressing rooms. We, we know exactly where we're going to be. And then we have a day sheet. So we know what time sound check is, what time we're, you know, we have for free time, what time our downbeat is, our meet and greets and our show, our loadout, and then we're back on the road. Having that organization is a gift because without it, holy moly, you just let 20 people run amok in different cities like that. That's insane. We have a great itinerary and we try to stick to a, a regiment and a schedule day by day. That being said, <laughs> going out on the road, especially with different personalities, it's a trip, man. It is a trip and a half. It's so much fun. It's exhausting physically, emotionally, it, it, it is exhausting, but in the best way possible. I love it because I love being around people that are as passionate and enthusiastic about bringing the art to different people night after night as I am. So, I mean, I get the biggest charge and the biggest thrill from it and meeting new people, whether it's the people that work at the venues, the people that serve me coffee down the street and, you know, in Cincinnati and a a coffee house that I've never been to, like just connecting with people all over the world and all over the country. It's so exhilarating and I love it. I love it. Been out of it for a minute. So getting back on the bicycle, like they say, it's like riding a bike. You just got to, you know, get back on the bike We've been out of it now for, what, 18 months? So going back to it is going to be so fresh, and we're going to have an absolutely uh, new for it, I think. Therese Curatolo joins us beyond the mic. Therese, when you're out on the road, how do you balance your time? You have the, I've got to be prepared for tonight, but hey, look over there. That seems cool. And a a squirrel moment, and then you're gone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... (laughs) <laughs> on postmodern jukebox it's very e- and and scary pockets it's very easy for me to be because because we're with friends and we can get into very good amounts of trouble like good trouble where we're in different cities and we're like you know what let's go and let's get totally 
hyped up on caffeine and walk around the city. And I don't know about, I can't speak for other people, but I love to thrift when I'm on the road. I love going into like antique shops and different thrift stores because it's like, they're, they're moments, they're pieces, they're collectibles from different uh, places. And I, I just love that. So we, <laughs> but we can duck in to different you know, museums, different parks, different places. And then it's like, we look down our watch, like we got to go, we got to go to soundcheck. And then we go to soundcheck. And (laughs) I mean, I don't drink, I don't drink alcohol anymore, but when I did, you can only imagine the fun we'd get into. (laughs) So what's the best item you've ever found thrifting? Ooh, I mean, I find really good records, uh, logins and Messina rest record. When I was out on the road with, postmodern jukebox and I man oh man I cherish that thing but I also find really great pieces of jewelry you used to model jewelry how would you describe your style uh a very classic like I like to find pieces that I can I can wear every day and they go just about with everything I don't like to um I don't like to have to change things out I like a very minimal clean fresh and classic uh, stack, but I, but that being said, I do like to stack old pieces and new pieces, uh, modern and and vintage alike. You wrote Braille while stuck in quarantine. Why is love so hard? And how did your own heartbreak feed into Braille? Sean, Sean, what what are we now? We're not even ten minutes into this, and you had to you had to hit me upside. You clubbed me with that, Sean. Who me? you you clubbed me with that okay all right listen listen let me just we're gonna go now we're gonna go now so oh we have yet to go beyond the mic Therese let's go (laughs) I did I did I wrote let me give you a little backstory on Braille Braille came to me at a luncheon with a dear friend of mine while I was on the road I was in Tokyo Japan right before the global shutdown. I mean, I'm telling you, it was like February 26, 7 of 2020. So I was at luncheon and we're discussing some stuff. And I just, I said the word. I said, you know what? Trying to read them is trying to read Braille. And I went, ding, there it is. There it is. So as soon as I boarded the plane later on that afternoon, um, obviously I had, I had a lot of time from Tokyo to Los Angeles to sit down and (laughs) to sit in my feelings, to sit in this and to write everything down. And what I did was I just, uh, and this is how I typically do write lyrics, I should say. I don't write phrase by phrase. I just write words. I write words, whether it's blue, jacket, button, door, I just write words. And I write based on the surroundings, the atmosphere, the mood, the vibe, whatever is in that, that little uh, snow globe, if you will. So I just wrote all these words down. And as soon as I got home, I put it to music. Fast forward like a few more weeks when the shelter in place of two and a half, three weeks turned into, and you are now locked down for a solid month perhaps even longer. So that's when I escaped back up home to Reno Tahoe. I played the song for my brother. I played the idea for my brother and he, he, you know, humored me when I was done with it. And he goes, that's cute. We're going to make it funk. And I went, 
Okay. Okay, great. We worked on that one from the get-go pretty immediately. And it flew, <laughs> when I tell you, it came pretty effortlessly. It did because it was very poignant at that moment in my life. The muse of mine, who I cherish, <laughs> wrote the song for me. I didn't have to work too hard. It's really trying to just knock on on a, a vault of a door that you I'm pretty good. I find myself pretty good at reading people, reading vibes, reading energy, people in situations. This, not so much, Sean. I can't read this human worth a darn. That is, that is Braille. You brought up Reno. Therese Curatolo joins us beyond the mic. You have a bachelor's of vocal performance from the University of Nevada, Reno. Yeah. How did your education prepare you for the real world? Long and short of it, it didn't at all. I wish that I could say that it did. There are many facets of my education that did, I mean, musically, artistically prepare me for the work that I am now doing. Many a skill, but as far as the business aspect of it, the logistical end of, of the business, I went to school for opera. Nowhere in there is there you know, how to be smart, how to, how to be smart, a smart businesswoman in, in the arts, how to market yourself, how to be your own management, how to, uh, you know, book your own, your own gigs, how to, how to, how to, how to, how to formulate your own press releases. You know, I wish that that was part of my curriculum. Um, sadly, it was not. How did your time at UNR change you? Well, you know, if you asked me back then when I was studying opera and I really, really did think that I was going to go on and have an operatic career, would be releasing pop funk music 12 years later, I would have completely laughed at you. And if I was going to be touring with these incredible collaborators, I, I would have laughed at you. I'm like, no, I'm going to be an opera singer and I'm going to be on the Broadway. And, you know, you, we just don't know as artists where the winds are going to blow us. We just don't know. Thinking back to that time in my education, I, I strived for a level of perfection that was just completely unattainable. And I stressed myself out beyond words, but, but I wouldn't change it. I'm glad that I was the way I was and I've carried that now to today, I, I, you know what? I wouldn't change a stroke because I'd rather be overprepared, overzealous, and an overachiever in every sense of the word than ever fall short because there will be people in the wings that maybe don't have the same level of uh, talent as you, but they have the tenacity and they have the drive, they have the persistence, and they have that overachievement quality in them that's going to put them in a different rank. And from my education, I busted my ass in college to get into the doors, to compete in the competitions, and to be called to the Metropolitan Opera as young as I was. That competition, I'm not even a competitive person, but that level of drive and diligence has taken me so many great places and it's it's discipline it really is 
Now give me the dirt. What was high school like growing up? There has to be a good, good story from high school. Oh, wow. This is great. This is a loaded baked potato, Sean. In high school, I don't want to say I was a loner because I wasn't. I had a great group of friends, but I also had a great group of haters. Haters? <laughs> it was like that. Oh. Why? When I tell you, I had people that wanted to glue my tap shoes to the, to the floor. Silence me. Silencio. I was a songwriter. I wrote my first song when I was 14 years old, right after the terror attacks of 9-11. And I performed it at the school assembly. Some people really ate it up. They were like, damn, really cool, Therese. And 90% of the school was like, who the hell does this little sophomore think she is coming and singing this anthem? Our assembly. It was I mean, I was fine. I was like, then this is just what I do, dude. Like I'm, you know, I'm just a, I take things and experiences and I strap on my guitar and I write about it. And I was like this little Joni Mitchell in high school, just wearing hemp jewelry, wearing a corduroy button up. And I was like, Hey dude, like peace and love and Jerry Garcia, man. I was just this little hippie bro. And then, then I like, got really involved in drama and like, I was always in choir, so that was no that was no thing. But I got really involved in drama, sophomore year into junior year, and then I started to morph. I was like, okay, well, I, I mean, I do the singer songwriter thing, but like, I'm also like really dramatic. And I became the drama club president, and uh, people still wanted to glue my tattoos to the floor. What was your first role? Do you remember your first role in the high school drama? Oh, I was. Um, it was called Monster, Monster something, Monsterland or something. It was hilarious. It was our fall play, sophomore year, and that set me up for spring of sophomore year, where I was cast as Sally Brown in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And it, I mean, when I tell you, that was one of, single-handedly one of the greatest experiences of my life. Monster Park. It was Monster Park. That was the name of the play. It was hilarious. It was great. Monster Park. We had such a great time. But you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Changed my life. I loved it. I loved it. I mean, when I tell you my obsession with Kristen Chenoweth was like instant, it was instant. So from there, we got really into the Broadway shit and we started to compete classically in all of these solo and ensemble competitions. And we used to go like everywhere. And I just became Rachel, what's her name from Glee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But like, I wasn't mean though. I just wanted to know like, why don't, why aren't we all championing each other? Like, why do we got to be mean to each other? Like, why is this such a big deal guys? Like what? Let's just be, but I've always been like that. I've always wanted to just to just fall into community with art. Like, I, I don't look at other people as, you know, a threat or a competition. I just want to, like, make art with you guys and be friends and, like, let's all fucking love each other. Do you know what I mean? I just don't, I don't understand why we can't just get along and make art. But, um, you know, kids in high school can be very mean. So junior year wasn't as fun as sophomore year, Sean. It wasn't. It started to get really real, and I started to date a guy from a different high school, which was great. 
because we had something cool in common where we were like the best at what we did. Nobody understood us. And we just like found each other and we were awesome together. We were like these two little Shakespearean, so far beyond high school souls. We were old souls that just found each other and just absolutely crashed into so each other. what happened to him? You know, I, I believe that he's blissfully married now. I believe he went on to, uh, I believe he went on to work with Boss Gags. At some point, he was working as part of his team, and I'm thinking to myself, my God, that's, yes, yes, that's how it's done. And I'm just so proud of him. And he was, he was just such a, such a beautiful human at that, at that time in life. And I just adore him. You have even had people try to push you to be part of Glee. Yes, sir. How did you know that? Oh, wow. Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, I did the whole, I jumped through all the hoops. I did. We did the Glee competition. We did the Glee this. We did the Glee project. We did, we flew out to meet with the producers to be part of the Glee. I think it was on Bravo or Oxygen. It was on one of those channels. I forget. But um, we went through all the songs and dances of that. And, um, you know, a dear friend of mine actually was cast in the Glee project and she did great. She went on to do great things. And yeah, I mean, when that, God, when that show hit, I was like, well, shit, there it is. That's what I was supposed to be doing. It's okay. What is that? Life imitating art or <laughs> art imitating life. Don't call her <laughs> Teresa. Her name is Therese Curatolo. And she joined us beyond the mic. What are you obsessed with? How much time do you have? I got plenty. My sources say that you're obsessed with one thing. Let's see if you can guess it. Uh-oh. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I just, now I'm, now I'm afraid. Now I want to know who you've been talking to and who's been talking to you. <laughs> this is what's called research, my friend. Oh, no. Okay. 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 It could be, it, oh God, it could be so many things. Okay. Hang on. <laughs> Let's talk about your unhealthy obsession with something that you. Is it man buns? Is it? Did I get it right? Man Bun Monday. Tell me about that. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Well, you know, oh God, I, it was so close. I was like, God, this could be, this could be so many things. This could be Kenny Loggins. This could be Michael McDonald. It would be Michael McDonald. It could be. Could be alcohol. Kenny Loggins. The guy who absolutely doesn't even know I exist. It could be so many things, Sean. But I had a feeling it was the man buns. Um, well, I want to hear about this. <laughs> I, you know, I find them so fascinating. Not all man buns are created equal. Let me start with that right out of the gate. Because, like, think about it. I, okay. I'm into hair. I think that. Hair is just a beautiful thing. And maybe this goes back to the, the fact that I was not supposed to live in this time. Like, I was born in 87, but I don't know, like, if I'm supposed to be, you know, maybe I was supposed to be living my best life in 69 in Woodstock when there was just so much hair. And it was great. And people didn't care. They just let it grow. And it was so beautiful and organic. Oh, I love it. So... I just find it so beautiful, especially on men. 
And uh, that being said, not all man buns are created equal. I mean, some of them are so, so beautiful. And some of them, it's like, no, 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 honey. We need to cut this hair now. This is not how it's supposed to look. (laughs) And I say that with all the love. Oh, wow. You know, because, and I'm allowed to, obviously, because it is an obsession. Uh, I guess. (laughs) I didn't mean for it to be. As people find your work, they're going to discover a young woman with a kind old soul. Where did that old soul come from? How did your parents help you develop that old soul? Well, that's a, wow, that is so sweet of you to say. I just got full body chills. My mom and dad are cut from one incredible cloth. And I'm so grateful that my soul (laughs) was birthed from them. So they are so, they were brought up so rich in culture separately. And then together they raised my brother and I rich in, I mean, just all the culture. My dad is a musician, so we used to travel the world as children. We would go on cruise ships and you know, him go with him to all the gigs and the we could, we would do it, you know, together as a as a fam. And I was just this little road baby. So I mean, you know, as a kid, you're being passed around, you're in Jamaica, you're in France, you're in the Philippines, you know, you're just everywhere. So I mean the music, the art, the people, the culture, the foods, the the heart of these surroundings and of these different experiences, it really does shape you. And my mom and dad have always, you know, raised me, treat people the way you want to be treated. There's a level of, there's a level of compassion and empathy that, that they instilled in me that, um, I don't, I don't know if it's the same different households, but, but it, it's, there's a lot of grace. There's a lot of humility and, it, it, there's just it's just rich in in love and, and kindness, and uh, I mean the mu- the music. I blame them. I blame my dad especially for the music. It's the music, really, because when, when we were kids, I grew up listening to everything that was old. Old. I mean everything from the crooners to obviously the Beatles and the oldies, the blues, the this everything in the seventies. My when I was a kid. My favorite voices were Linda Ronstadt, Karen Carpenter, and Julie Andrews. Shit. That was like it. So my first concert that was not my dad's was Linda Ronstadt. And my mom had to like hold me back. She had to be like, you can't run up to the stage. You can't do that. <laughs> so I wanted to make a beeline. Here I was like five, six years old. I just wanted to run and hug her because I'm like, Linda! <gasps> You're everything to me. <clears throat> so, I mean, that being said, it's, I think when you grow up mirroring and studying the classics and studying, you know, legends past, you kind of have a skewed vision of reality because it's like, yeah, I'm in, I'm here and I know that we're supposed to be listening to the Spice Girls and I like the Spice Girls. They're great. But I'd rather just, you know, Go and study Karen Carpenter, <laughs> actually. Therese Curatolo joins us beyond the mic. Therese, do you feel that music doesn't have the same heart now than it did in the 30s all the way up to the 80s? Yes and no. Yes and no. I'm t- I, you know, I struggle with that 
day after day. And I'm like, yeah, well, this is art. Now, no matter how you slice it, like even if they're saying, you know, like the Bo Burnham, let's take that for, for instance, put your ass up, get on out of your seat, all eyes on me, all eyes on me. That's art. Some people are like, damn, that's so deep. Have you seen that? Have you felt that? That is so deep. And you know what? Art and music reaches people on a different level based on their reality. It just does. It, it'll, it'll speak to you. It'll miss you based on where you are in your, in your reality. So I can't really gauge if things have or lack heart. Me personally, I would have to say, yeah, I don't connect to the music and the art of today the way I connect to the art and the, um, the expression of yesteryear. I just, I mean, I learn and I try to emulate the, and write like the prolific poets of yesteryear. And I just don't know if we, um, if we have the same, the same pool today in today's generation. Why do you feel the pool is so, and I'll say it so you don't have to, shallow? Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I really honestly don't know. I could rack my brain for hours. I don't know why things have become so watered down. Things have just become so watered down. We don't, it's almost like we stopped reading classic literature we stopped listening to classical music we stopped all of these things that are so rich in art all of these um timeless timeless displays of art and opera being one of them things are just becoming so casual the instant gratification is taking over the art is losing its zest it's losing its sparkle because we have a thing called and we love it we love youtube but we have a thing called youtube now where you can see things instantly and you don't have to venture out and experience it live. And I think that there's so much beauty in experiencing it live. I mean, let's guys, hello, collectively, we've been locked down now for like 18 months. Don't you miss live entertainment? All in favor? I, 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 I. Okay. So if we've learned anything from, you know, being stuck inside and having to watch these one-dimensional things and ingest this art this way, don't we miss being impacted by it in a live sense? I mean, I do. That's why it, it would absolutely break my heart if the funding were to ever stop for classical music, for symphonies, for um, operatic and theatrical productions, for the Broadway, for anything like that, because that is so necessary for our culture. If you could sit and listen to one jazz and one opera record as you watch the stars from your backyard at home, what records would they be? <clears throat> okay, so the opera would be La Boheme. It's my favorite opera of all time. Um, specifically the one with Ileana Kretrubusk. She's everything. Jazz, that's a, that's a... That one's interesting. I'm not really sure which, I don't know. I don't know because my, my, I'm a fan of compilations and um, I'm not, I'm not sure on the jazz front. We'll let you come back to that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. You're a spark plug. Five foot three. What's the worst outfit you've had to wear in your career? 
Okay. Going back to opera. <clears throat> Opera's a big fan of corsets. You know. I want to say one of the worst outfits I've ever had to wear was during Carmen. I can only I was, imagine from Carmen. <laughs> I, was the, I was the youngest principal on that operatic stage. In the, I mean, I was just thrust into this, to this role. At what age? I was 20, <clears throat> 21 or 22. And that's so crazy young to be a principal in an, in an opera production. So it was like, it felt like a cummerbund of a corset and the skirt that was, I mean, everything was tucked into this cummerbund, this cummerbund of a corset. So I was wearing a strapless bra that was fighting, obviously everything that it was trying to hold up. And then there was this peasant white floppy top that had to fall off of my shoulders. So that was a mess too. And then (laughs) there was that, corset cummerbund holding everything so it held the shirt in and then it held this heavy as hell skirt that that was i mean i I, you were supposed to look like a gypsy and that's exactly what i looked and felt like but it was so heavy and i couldn't move and i couldn't like and and my wig mistress was unbearable so like i we weren't allowed to touch our hair like our wigs because it was real hair and the, the wigs were worth more than our lives apparently. So I was trying to, and it was this really long brunette wig and I was like trying to get it off of my shoulders and hold everything up and sing all of this at the same time and act and not trip and not have everything just ravel on me on stage. It was probably the worst that I've ever had to wear and sing, sing the whole, sing the whole thing. I was not Carmen, by the way. I was not Carmen. Thank you, God. Therese Caratolo joined us beyond the mic. You've been dreading this. But it's time for the Rocky Nate. Eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. Growing up, what celebrity fan clubs were you a part of? Oh, my God. The Backstreet Boys and the Spice Girls and Britney Spears. Holy shit. First album you bought when you were young. Paula Cole. Who's the most creative person you know? Myself. Favorite comfort food? Uh, 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 uh
every day. I drink a gallon of water every day. Um, I eat very good. I take care of myself. I wish I could sleep. That's one thing that I wish I could do better, but I just take very good care of myself. So how many hours of sleep do you get in a typical day? Uh, I want to say like five or six. Oh my. Oh, ow, right? Best place you've ever been and the place you still want to visit. Okay. I really want to go to Italy for obvious reasons. And the best place I've ever been, best place I've ever been. Uh, does it count like when you're like when you're with your people? Like sometimes it's not a place. Sometimes you're just with your people. How many pairs of shoes do you own? Oh God, probably <laughs> 30. Oh, wow. Not bad. And what made your late cat, Sush, so special to you? Well, she was, um, she was a Christmas present. My sixth Christmas, my mom and dad, um, brought her to me. It was, we were at the kitchen table. They had me close my eyes and then hold out my hands and I opened the eyes and there she was with a little red bow on her and I will never forget that as long as I live and the how I heaved. I just, I cried instantly and so hard. I was severely bullied as a kid. <clears throat> and she was everything to me. She was, she was half cat, half dog, half sister, half, she was just, she was everything to me. When I would come home from school every day after having the worst day, with these rotten kids there she was like ready to go like what are we gonna do today are we gonna go out and eat grass are we gonna fetch sticks like what are we gonna do today she was a cat she was a dog she was my guardian angel she was everything to me so uh, i had her for 20 years she was with me from 6 to 26 and um she was my shadow she was everything to me it's time for the back half with Therese Curatolo Beyond the Mic. You're part of Scary Pockets and Postmodern Jukebox. Jason Robert Brown said, quote, I continue my unhealthy obsession with Therese Curatolo's voice and invite you all to share it with me, unquote. How do you feel when people compliment you like this? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, especially JRB. Listen, Mr. Jason Robert Brown, I know you're going to listen to this. I, when I tell you, if you told 15-year-old Reese T, who was studying your every work <clears throat> at that time, that fast forward to now, 2020, 2021, you would A, know my name, and then say something so crazy insane like that about me and, and my talents. I Again, I would laugh it. I would laugh. I wouldn't believe you. That's, in, that's insane to me. And I'm so grateful and I'm so humbled. And I don't, I really honest to God, don't know what to say that. What? Like, how do you even know my name? That's nutty to me. <sighs> you've been a singer. You've been a model, which is harder and why? Uh, definitely being a model because it's like, I don't, uh, what do I have to do with my, 
singing to me is just like breathing. It's like existing. It's so natural. It's, it's kind of weird. So when people ask me like, how do you, and I'm like, I don't know. It's like, you know how you just swallow and it's natural. I, I don't know. <laughs> but with modeling, it's like, you have to know so many different things and you have to be aware of your body in ways that you wouldn't typically. How did your time at Burning Man change you? Great one, Sean. <laughs> wow, you had some time. This is so great. I'm not sweating at all, by the way. This is not at all. I listened and I thought, okay, great. Like you, you know, you, you're gonna be fine today. Like he Sean's just gonna like kind of want to get to know, you know, your art and maybe your process and I don't know, some of your heroes, some of your inspirations, and like everything's gonna be great. And then he comes and he clubs me with Fred Flintstone's club with all of these great, great questions. I've never felt more seen, number one, more researched, which is, I mean, this is amazing. This is really, I mean, I feel, I don't know. Ah, ah, okay. Burning Man completely changed, I want to say, almost everything about me. Burning Man for me was like, finally, like I, I experienced myself in a way that I hadn't, that I hadn't. I mean, I went to Burning Man when I was 2016, so I was about 29. So it was one of those like, hey, do this shit before you turn 30. You got to go out there. And I'm, a, I'm considered a local because I'm from Reno. So it's right outside of Reno. And it kind of originated you know, with, with Reno Tahoe being the basis of it. Cause that's where everybody flies in and you go and you experience the burn burning man. Let me tell you, for those of you that don't know, burning man is, is an experience and the experience that you make it. It's not one thing. So people are like, Oh, it's all about the art. It's all about the drugs. It's all about that. Mm-mm. It is a display of art, but it's self-expression. So you go there experience it however you want to experience it it's a completely personal experience so for me I didn't do any substances out in the desert I didn't drink alcohol all I could do was drink water and remind myself that holy shit you are here you're experiencing this and it was great there was so much art the people the connections the fear the letting go the going out like into deep playa wearing nothing but a fur and a leotard in your boots just going by yourself and sitting there under a display of art with nobody around you. It was so quiet. You could hear the blood run through your veins and you just sit and you meditate and you talk to who and whatever it is you want to. And when I tell you the cells in your body absolutely vibrate on a different plane and you just, I don't know, you, you come back a completely different person. You just, I did anyway. I came back with so much more depth and so much more love in my vessel. Therese Curatolo joins us beyond the mic. Therese, what musical would you do anything to be, have even a small part of? Probably Jason Robert Brown's last five years. <laughs> And he better let me sing that one day. You know what? Or or he better be busy writing one that I can sing right now. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> 
Jason, write something for Okay, Jason. <laughs> any any music by him, I would be I would do anything to sing. We've made you laugh, cry, and think beyond the mic today. What sacrifices and choices have you made that you probably wouldn't do today so your dreams could still come true? Uh, that's a great that's a great question, and that comes in a very synchronized time in my life, actually. I woke up this year and I realized I'm 34. All this time I thought I was 33 and my mom had to remind me, hey, I was there. You were, in fact, 34 this year. So on on me that I haven't dated. I haven't dated since college. And I don't know if that was a subconscious choice that I made. Like, hey, you know what you want to be. You're going to travel. You're going to, you know, make this career for yourself. And you have to build this, quote, unquote, empire or this career for yourself before you can get involved with anybody. And my mom always told me, you know, your trees, your twenties are your own. You got to figure yourself out. You got to figure your career out. You just, you got to be alone during that time. That's not to say you can't, you know, have fun, whatever, but, but be alone and really, truly figure it out. So the twenties came and went, and here we are four years into the new decade. And I find myself looking around going, oh, shit, like, wow, I didn't do any of that because I'm, because I'm so laser beam focused on myself and who I want to be in my career. And I find myself now going, you can maybe figure out how to do both and you should because today or tomorrow, I mean, you're not getting any younger and today or tomorrow, you know. You should consider that. You should consider that. <clears throat> so that that is a sacrifice that I guess as a woman I've made, but I didn't. I never looked at it as a sacrifice. Life just happened, and is happening, continues to happen. So I mean, would I love to be involved? Oh my god, of course! But I'm having a- traveling and going all over the place, and I unless other person was in the same field in the same industry and understood my lifestyle never want to rope um somebody else to that because it's very hard to understand hard to be a part of as a songwriter you put your soul on the page what's the one song you haven't shared you might be afraid it's too dark for us to hear i mean every song you write you put a piece of your heart into is there a song you don't want to share that piece of your heart yet? Yes. Yes, there is. Like I mentioned before, this pandemic has given me a great deal of time to really focus and hone in on my craft and my songwriting abilities. And I've had a great muse throughout the whole thing. And when I say great muse, I mean, you can have a muse, you can have multiple muses, but I have one specific great muse. And it's very prismatic. <clears throat> They give me the highs, they give me the mids, and they give me the super lows. This muse of mine is very prismatic. They give me the super highs, the mids, and the super lows. They give me all of it. So I've written happy bubbly songs inspired by them. I've written not so. And I'm feeling right now the music that's going to come as the state that I'm in is going to be much heavier than the uh, 
the earlier releases and I might out myself, but I write in symbolism and I look to other artists for their symbolism because I think that symbolism is everything in art. Otherwise, if, if there was no symbolism behind art, art is completely, in a lot of senses, useless. Like, what, it's got to make you feel something. You've got to look for symbolism in it. You've got to look for the truth and the meaning within the art. So, and that's how I write. I, I bury a, a lot of Easter eggs in my art. And um, next batch is going to be, it's time. It's time. And I'm not really afraid to let it, to let it fly, but um, it, has, it has to go. It has to exit. So for you to grow as an artist and for you to grow as a person, you have to be able to let that heartbreak go for you to move on. Yeah, I do. I have to, I have to let this beautiful muse of mine <clears throat> go and seek, you know, comfort, whether it's in my music, whether it's in other people or just in myself. That's what we do as artists. We take it and we make it art, whether it's good, bad, indifferent. Like I said, the highs, the mids, the lows, um, we've just got to take it and turn it into our own art. And people, no matter where they are in their reality, they will relate to it in some way. Okay. Time to change it up. If you were given your own show in Vegas, where would you want it to be? And who else would be in it? I wouldn't, I, you know what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't care where it is. I would just want it to be the biggest, grandest stage in Vegas. So when you tell me, if you know which one that is, like, I just want it to be the biggest one. And I want all my friends to be there with me. And I mean, all of my friends, they don't have to be big, famous dudes. Like if Paul McCartney wants to join, cool, cool, cool. Like that's not a big, that's whatever. But I'm, ta I'm talking like all of my buds that I play with right now. I just want, I, I almost wanted to feel like the Kennedy Center honors, just all my buds playing while my guitar gently weeps and everyone's taking a stab at the solo. And it's just one glorified jam session. It's like, you're welcome. There's a lot of glitter. And the glitter falls down at the end and everybody leaves with a little piece of Reese tea and her friends. Therese, you've got a sassy, no nonsense attitude to you. <laughs> when the camera is off, social media is put away. Who is the real Reese tea? Well, the real Reese tea, I mean, she's not, she's not super different from what you get here. I mean, even if I'm watching a program, I will yell at the TV the same yelling at you, Sean. I'm not even kidding. The real Reese is just, she's the same. She's just, she's just not as loud. But I still, I still, I still bounce around to my own bops. <laughs> How have you changed from when you first belted out a song when you were 14 to today? Oh God, so much, so much. Like, whoa. I mean, I still give a way too much of a shit of what people think of me. And I'm trying to get over that. And I think about that every day. I'm like, oh, stop, 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 stop. But I've changed dramatically just from 14 to now? 20 years? A lot. Changed a lot. For the better. For the better. How has your sobriety changed the way you see yourself? So great. So great. I don't, I don't need it. 
No, I, I really don't think anybody needs it. But I feel so much better. I feel so much clearer. I mean, I, let's let's be clear. I was not crazy. I was not. I was not a lunatic with with alcohol. But um, just not have just not being a casual drinker anymore. I think is it's it's better for me as a human. It's better for my head. It's better for my emotions. It's better for my art. It's better for everything. I'm so much clearer, less toxic. You've talked Loggins, Messina, McCartney, and Chenoweth. Who's the hero that if they knocked at the door, you would have no words? It, I mean, it would have to be. It would have to be Paul McCartney. It would have to be. It'd have to be Paul McCartney or Joni Mitchell. I w- I would freeze. I would need brown pants, Sean. It's time for one big question with Therese Curatolo beyond the mic. You've basically nude modeled for Fran Sonsley, acted in caskets and strippers for Discovery ID, and performed a duet with Stevie Wonder. Any regrets? Adversity. <clears throat> um, I don't have any regrets. I don't, I don't have not a one. I think that everything happens in divine timing and everything happens for a reason. Um, I think I've learned a lot in, within the course of losing people in my life, uh, losing friendships, losing relationships, and how I behaved throughout that loss or that break and that adversity i've learned maybe i don't i don't know maybe it's it's just getting older that less is so much more you don't have to go out of your way to show people how much they've hurt you you don't need to go out of your way to show them your nerves and um show them your pain and and or my (laughs) as my friend would say become captain subtweet and become progressive that way you don't really have to, to, to give them your peace. You just leave in silence. You let it dissolve the way it's going to be because when, what people tell you when they're angry, they've been dying to tell you that. And I, there are some things that you can't unhear from people that you used to be in your life and you used to be very close with. And they told you some things that out of anger and out of that, of that break that, that that will stay with you. So that's that's one thing that that I've learned throughout the years is that no matter how hurt, angry, enraged you are, just let it dissolve and do not do not let it uh, let it get the best of you. Therese, why are you America's best kept secret? Oh, Sean. I think it is because I will always hold the door open for the person behind me. I won't walk through first. She can't get enough of Chinese chicken salad as part of the Spice Girls Britney Spears fan club and was on Discovery ID. Wrote her first song at 14. Her song Braille is out now. See her out on tour with Postmodern Jukebox and Cirque soon. We thank Therese Curatolo for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. No, really, I mean it. Thank you. That was, that was so. That was a very thoughtful interview, Sean. Like, wow. And that, my friends, is an extra large, super size edition of Beyond the Mic. <laughs>